from Cleveland, Ohio. You are listening to Rule of Law Albania with Albi Cela. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Rule of Albania. Today with me is Fred Abrahams from Human Rights Watch. Uh, Fred has worked a, a lot on Albania, especially right after the fall of communism, uh, right after 1991. He moved to Albania, he worked there. And ever since he held his ties to Albanians. Fred is also the author of Modern Albania, an amazing book. I've read it, I'm going to say it four times since it was published. I had to read it time after time just to remember uh, some stuff that I needed to. Uh, Fred, welcome. I'll be thanks. And I, I think you've, you've read the book more than my mother. So congratulations. I read it twice in the past, in the, in the last two years, just because I needed it. I mean, it's, it's a really good book. It has been cited a lot in Albania. Um, Fred, let's jump back uh, a little back in the time. Um, how, did they, how did you start the idea to write this book? What was the process of writing this book? How long it took? And what were the main obstacles to finish that book? Uh, well, I'll be first of all, thanks for having me. And thank you for having this podcast. You know, you you uh, you open the open the door for conversations about Albania um, that are needed. And um, so thank you for for taking the time to, to do that. Um, look, I mean, uh, I first arrived in Tirana in the summer of 1993. And I think I, I understood I wanted to write something or you know, be engaged and explain and present and describe this country from the beginning. You know, because it was such a unique and powerful experience. You know, summer 93, that's 18 months after uh, the, the Democratic Party took power, right? I mean, the transition is still very much uh, uh, in motion. And I had a front row seat, small town, small country. At that time, everything happened in the pyramid. All of the, the, the main conversations, the government, the opposition, the journalists, the intellectuals, the artists, everyone was in the pyramid at the time. And, you know, I could sit there and, and be a part and observe, observe history. So, um, you know, I think I felt that that was a huge, uh, well, an opportunity for, you know, a young man uh, and also a responsibility. Because here I was witnessing this and, and, and you know, mingling with, let's say, the political elite or the, you know, also cultural and elite of this country. And I felt like, hey, I have a chance to tell this story. Um, and, you know, I, you know, you know, as well as anyone, there are there are not a lot of books about Albania. You know, there are some some of them are very good, um, but there's a real a real lack of just not enough. There's just not enough. Uh, and if you compare to other countries in the region. So I felt like, listen, I, I have a unique perspective. I have access to the country. I learned the language to a degree. Uh, and so I have a chance here to help tell the world about this. And um, I jumped on it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm so glad I did. Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm really happy to you did write that book. I really, I really appreciate it. Every Albanian, I guess, appreciates it because you give a kind of perspective that, to be honest, I, nev I, I nev never actually thought about. I didn't know uh, much, many of the events that you describe in the book, I didn't even know they occurred, that they didn't, didn't even exist. So thank you, thank you so much um, for that. But during the process of writing this book, what surprised you the most? 
Well, I, I got to say one thing, Albie, you know, because you asked what were the obstacles. Yeah. I mean, for me, there were two, there were just two phases of this thing, right? There was the research and there was the writing. And the first was heaven and the second was hell. OK. Um, and for me, because the, the research was incredible. OK, I'm a researcher. I could do that all day long, night and day, you know, because what does it mean? Like I got to interview the people who were playing in this drama. You know, uh, everyone from the Politburo members, you know, I sat there with Rami Zalia and Sofokli Lazri. I mean, who, who has a chance to sit down with these characters from history? Whatever you think of them, you're sitting there and asking them questions. I got to meet the student leaders of, of, 19, uh, of 1990, 91. I got to meet the founders of the Democratic Party and, and on and on and on. And so like talking with these people was a, a gift. You know, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Um, and also because, you know, I, uh, some, a lot of these experiences I, I, I saw firsthand. So my main experience in Albania is 1993 to 97 and or maybe let's say 99 with the Kosovo War, 99, 2000. So you know, then the book I started later, 2001, 2002, 2000s. So then I got to go back and ask people, hey, what were you thinking at that time? Right. Here's what I saw. You know, I witnessed 1997. I was in Tirana for parts of it. And now I could go back to those people, whether it was, you know, uh, against Polo in the Democratic Party or um, or uh, members of the Socialist Party who were also ne negotiating, uh, thinking like Recep Maidani, for example, negotiating at that time, whoever it was and the journalists and so on. Hey, hey what were you thinking? Why did you do this? What was the conversation in the meeting at that time? What was the international community saying? Right. And that's a, what I mean, that's a that's an incredible opportunity. So so that that research and those interviews were fantastic. And not to mention the archives. You know, so I, I submitted hundreds of freedom of information uh, requests for uh, to the U United States government. And I got a lot back from the State Department, even a few from the CIA, mostly older, older documents. So, you know, going through all of that material and also you sitting in the National Library, you know, the National Library in Tirana has every newspaper that's ever been published in the country. Right. Uh, going back. Well, probably, you know, way before 1990. Uh, and so, um, you know, I sat there uh, and read, you know, they, they bring them up. There's this there was this old elevator. It's like a, you, you write down what you want. I want Relindia Democratica, you know, uh, December, January uh, 90, 90, 91. And um, then they I must say, I must say that the National Library flooded, I think, two years ago. So I hope that those things are still alive because many of the books, at least I know that one of the compartments of the National Library was completely flooded and books really old books were yeah <laughs> so i, I hope they're still alive I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that yeah well, that's that would be a real a real tragedy so um but all of that was a real pleasure and, and going through that material um what was difficult is the writing right and then i mean because it's such it's such a story uh it's so you know complicated and long and it's and I, I didn't want to just tell a report you know i'm good at writing human rights reports but that's those are boring legalistic documents, factual, chronological. I wanted to tell a story, you know, because I wanted people to, for, to, to read this and be interested in it and to make the characters come to life. And, you know, these are fascinating characters. They have strong personalities. They have personal dramas. And so um, writing it in a way that had a, you know, a narrative thread uh, was was hard. You know, I'm not a writer. 
I'm, I'm not, a, you know, that's not my natural. And so, so that was the hard part and the main obstacle for me. I understand. And shortly about the surprise, what surprised you the most during that process? Whether it was I mean, the interviews, during the writing, where the pe one of the people that you interviewed. Yeah. So I guess one of the surprises, but you know, maybe it's not such a surprise because I mean, uh, people were, they loved to talk. They loved it. Right. I, I mean, maybe that's not a surprise. I mean, Albanians are, you know, very communicative and, and this was a, such a drama in their lives. Um, but, and, you know, and of course, I'll be, of course, people spoke from their own perspectives, right? So it's not that, you know, you take and you believe everything yeah. that everyone said. You know, my job was to, 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 to document it and then to assess it, right? And that's the journalistic task, right? So you measure what they're saying and you compare it and you corroborate, you know? So um, of course you have to understand, you know, people have a spin, right? That's, that's you know, that's normal. And they everyone wanted to be the front one, right? I was the first. I was the main one and so on. Um, but, but people were really willing to talk. And one thing that really fascinated me, it, it, maybe not a surprise, but it was interesting. It was so emotional. Do you know a, a number of people cried? A number of people cried while talking with me, you know, because they were going through events in their lives that were so important, right? So crucial for the country, but also for them and their families that um, they broke down you know, remembering the, the intensity of, the, of that time. And, you know, for me, that was an incredible experience, right? Because you realize how important it is, uh, those changes and what it's meant for people, whether they stayed there, whether they've now emigrated, pe people lost their lives and emerging from decades of this repression, you know, coming out of prison, looking for lost relatives. I mean, that's all really deep and powerful uh, 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 emotion. So um, I, I, I found, um, yeah, maybe it wasn't surprise, but I really was impressed by that, by that engagement. As you said, Prad, you were, I think you were in Albania in a period which was the most interesting to be in post-communism, 1993, 1997. Many things happened within that time frame. a lot of things. So I guess you got to know a lot of politicians back then, you got to understand Albanian politics really well. Um, what do you think were the positive and negative aspects you found in Albanian po uh, politics slash politician in specific of any politician? I mean, one thing that's, that still is amazing to me, but, and I, I wanna dig into it a little bit with you. Um, it's amazing that the, the changes in Albania were not bloody, right? Because let's think back you know, at the, the amount of repression, the amount of violence, the total control of the, of the party, right? And um, the fact this changed with really basically no violence, basically no violence. Violence came in 1997, but nine, you know, 1989, 90, 91, very little violence. There was some incidents, of course. Um, and there was one moment when maybe the military soldiers were going to come out of the academy and they didn't. But I don't think that would have gotten much traction. So very little, very little um, blood, right? The tipping the Hoja monument in February uh, uh, of, um, of 1990, uh, uh, 91, right? Um, you know, no, no. So why? Um, I mean, you know, that that I, I think the answer to that is maybe not so positive, but it's worth thinking about. Look, and 
the main one of the main conclusions of my research in this was Albania did not have a revolution. Okay, there there was no revolution in that country if we understand the meaning of the word to be you know a radical break, right? Where you overthrow a power and a group of people and structures and you replace them with a new structure. That didn't happen in Albania, right? I mean, what happened in Albania was what someone called it once a reformution, meaning reform, like reform. It was managed. It was a managed process, a transfer of power. Um, and, um, and, you know, that doesn't mean there weren't moments of bravery. There were definitely spontaneous, authentic moments where people stood up. You know, the student movement uh, is, is, a, is a good example of that. Really genuine moments where people challenged authority. Um, there were those moments. But those were moments little that, that jumped up and then the party and the elites quickly got them under control. And um, so the process was 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 managed. Um, and I don't mean a, like a plan. I'm not suggesting there was a big plan. I don't think any poll the Politburo sat down in 1980, 89 and said Glasnost and Perestroika is coming. Berlin Wall has fallen. We better make a plan. I don't think I think they understood we have to change. I don't think they believed there was some, but they were very skillful. And because they had such control of the country. Right. I mean, you know, Ramiz Aliyah and the party, they had total control or very strong control of the country. They could manage it. Right. And and lack of dissidents, lack of opposition. Everyone was dead or in prison or too scared. So I guess what I'm trying to say is um, in some ways this was very positive, right? Because obviously lives were saved. But on the other hand, um, Albania never had that break with its past. And the country is still uh, experiencing the repercussions of that, right? That continues to this day, right? For example, just one example is looking for the missing persons who went missing during communism or you know, um, dealing with the past, dealing with the crimes of the past. Still, the country has not really, in any serious way, dealt with the crimes of the past. And that's because it didn't break with, with that past. In fact, many of the people from that past are still there. Some of them have prominent positions in government or in parliament, right? Um, so you know, so it, was a, it was a positive aspect and also a negative, right? One, it's one issue that had positive and negative aspects uh, that, that, that have dominated the, the political uh, uh, culture and dynamics today. You actually answered my, my next questions, which I, I was gonna ask, like, oh. you said a transfer of power and it struck me because I was thinking, was this transfer of power that happened back in 1990, like, is today the con consequence of that transfer of power. Because as you said, we didn't break the ties with the past, with the communist past. And I think that that transfer of power that was made back then have brought Albania to the day that we're in today. Like you said it, we have still strong ties with the communist past. We have today leaders, state officials, which are still um, in power. I'm, I'm not gonna mention names, but as you said, in the parliament, in the government, everywhere um but yeah it's 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 really it's really interesting and in the opposite and in the opposition I, i could say more in the opposition actually sometimes maybe yep that's what i've heard recently at least <laughs> but yeah this brings me to the next point like um so again you've lived in albania 
during a time uh, which the country was led by uh, Berisha, Salih Berisha, uh, former president, former prime minister, which you has which, which you have rightfully um, criticized in your book a lot, let's say to a certain degree. Um, and I, I think you got to know you got to know him firsthand back back uh, in the time or met him in person. I'm not sure. But I remember from your book that uh, the first moment that your relationship with him or his relationship with you was struck at the moment that he closed uh, the university newspaper. That's how you describe it in the book. At least when I say he, he ordered someone to close it. Because as far as you write in the book, uh, you started operating the newspaper and all of a sudden they didn't want to let you um, write anymore. Please correct me if, 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 if I'm wrong. So now, again, back at that time, you got to know also the current prime minister, Eddie Rama, coming from a um, famous communist family, let's say. And so as I was saying, um, you got to know also Eddie Rama back, back at the time, coming from a prominent, prominent family with really strong communist ties. Back then, he was this, let's say, liberal guy as you describe also in your book, he moved out of the country, then he came back in as a minister, so on and so forth. Um, so we passed from Berisha to Ed Rama, who was a big critic of Berisha back at the time. And in your book, again, as I said earlier, um, you criticize Berisha a lot. And at the end of the book, you also talk a little about Rama and you give some hints of let's say as of his autocratic tendencies, which still ve weren't very clear at the time. I tend to dis disagree a little at this point, just slightly, maybe because I've lived there and I've seen some other things that you haven't maybe, I'm not sure. But back when you, when you knew him, um, did you notice the slightest uh, autocratic streak in him? So was there any, any autocratic tendency under the artsy look and the liberal painter of that time? Did you notice anything? Um, so, um, well, first of all, I, I don't know uh, Barisha, Sali Barisha or Eddie Rama personally. I, I don't know. I mean, I literally, I shook the hand of Saleh Barisha once because I was in a, in by, by circumstance, um, but we never had a conversation. And, you know, unfortunately uh, he didn't agree to be interviewed for the book because I, I would have gladly sat down and, and spoken with him. Um, of course, Eddie Rama, I have met, of course, but I, I don't know him well. No, I don't because um, for a lot of the time when I was in Tirana, then uh, he was in Paris. So I met him, of course, uh, at that time. Um, but uh, you know, I, I have never spent significant time uh, with him. Um, I mean, and I would say, you know, in terms of the the personality, I think what's what's there's a couple of things to say. I mean, you know, the the first is, um, I mean, does power change a person? You know, and that, that's a question. And I, I mean, I I would have to imagine um, that in some ways it does that power uh, does change a person. It would be very unique uh, and, uh, if, if it didn't. Um, also because you tend, you, you can get um, surrounded by people who aren't willing to tell you the, the full truth or aren't willing to, to express criticisms of you or tell you, tell you, you they disagree with you. 
Um, and so I think that, uh, that, 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 could, that could be, I'd be surprised if that wasn't the case. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think there probably were some consistencies, you know. Um, I mean, I'm hesitating because I'm, I'm not a, a psychoanalyst, you know, a, a, I'm not a psychiatrist or a, or a, psychologist, a psychologist. Um, but, you know, I think one thing that we can say for sure, I mean, Eddie Rama always had, back at that time, I mean, right, at that time, he had a sharp disdain for, um, you know, for authority. Uh, he had, uh, you know, a critical eye. He had, of course, this sort of, you know, um, uh, keen uh, artistic uh, spirit, meaning to, to speak out. And, a, and um, you know, that kind of um, critical spirit and that, that disdain um, is in an artist, it's attractive. In an artist, it's attractive. In a political leader, it's dangerous. Okay, you know, because, you know, it leads um, and, and you can see it in the in the in the language, you know, in the language that he uses for the opposition, in the language he uses for the media. You know, I, and I, I have to say, actually, you know, uh, yesterday, the day before we recorded this, you know, we, we said goodbye to uh, President Trump and some of the language that I see uh, and hear uh, Eddie Rama using is just as nasty, if not worse, um, than the language that, that Trump has used to, to express his critics, to, 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 to uh, you know, to shame his critics. So, you know, that type of biting tongue, that type of um, sort of harsh and critical spirit, like I say, as an artist, it's, it's welcome. Uh, but as a leader, it's, it's, I, I find it very, uh, very dangerous. And, um, you know, it's we we can see it now. You know, we can see the um, the 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 the, um, the impact of that. And so, as a as a human rights activist, you know, which is my profession, actually, um, it's difficult to swallow um, when I see the way that he has embraced uh, um, Erdogan, though, including deportations of um, of of people to Turkey who we know are likely to face at least unfair trials, if not uh, abuse in, in detention. The we one, know this, right? One of them that was deported last year, we nobody knows about his fate. The one that was deported so, on January 1st, um, 2020. And it is said that he might be dead. Interesting. Well, I, I mean, I can ask my colleagues who cover Turkey to, to look into that. It would be interesting to know where where this person is. Um, I don't I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, but we do know what Erdogan's human rights uh, record is, is, is like. Um, and then there's the, you know, the issues at, at, at home, which, you know, we can talk about. Um, and I think, you know, you're, you're following closely um, from the media to, um, to influence of the judiciary and, and corruption. Right. Um, so, you know, I think uh, all of those, uh, all of those, whether that's something, whether he's changed or whether those are consistent, you know, is, is a difficult thing. I mean, one thing I, I do want to say, though, um, Albi, it, that I think is important is that, I mean, let's remember the context as well. Just, I just want to stress this a little bit, um, which is to say that, you know, I mean, Sali Barisha, in my view, he has still not been held accountable for what is probably the single most serious atrocity or abuse or, or, or disaster 
um, of post-communist Albania, and that's 1997. Right. You know, and let's not forget that 2000 Albanians lost their lives. Right. Um, uh, uh, dozens of people drowned in the Adriatic Sea when they tried to flee from Florida to, to get to Italy. You know, and no one has really um, been held truly accountable for that. I mean, there were some arrests, but not 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 the leader head of the head of state. Right. Even though he was president, he was head of state at the yeah. time, um, you know, and, um, you know, who really encouraged the pyramid schemes. Gerdetz. Right. What about Gerdetz? OK, I mean, you know, I guess there, there have been cases against that, but, you know, he was head of state and media as well. You know, I just want to hark back because this is the time that I remember uh, when I was in Tirana, when we talk about the media, um, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, Theodor Keiko, a wonderful Albanian writer. Um, was brutally beaten outside of his apartment. Uh, I interviewed him days later. His head was smashed in with with uh, brass knuckles. You know, the office of Kohayon at that time, a uh, an important uh, critical newspaper. Kohayon was burned. Right. I remember interviewing. I think he was the editor at the time, Freddie Peza. I mean, he was the color of a patlajan. He was like, you know, black and blue from head to toe. Um, Eddie Rama was beaten. Eddie Rama was was seriously beaten up, you know, in that in those days. Um, so I'm I'm saying all of this. Um, I don't. I am not comparing, uh, and I am not. Um, I'm also not belittling. I do not want to diminish the human rights violations we see today. That's not my point. I'm not saying those. I just I'm merely giving the context um, to say uh, that you know the human rights violations have been a problem and they continue to be a problem in Albania. Yeah, I totally agree with everything, everything you said. But uh, OK, those things happened back then. We know what Berisha did to to the press, to the free voices of the civil society and everything. But let's remember that many of these of the people that are today in power, they were those people that were beaten back at, back at the time or were muzzled by the government. We have Eddie Rama, you said it yourself. He was beaten up for speaking against the government. But look where we are today. A guy who fought for the freedom of press, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and so on and so forth, is today doing, I'm not going to say much worse things, but he's right about there with, with Berisha when it comes to violations of human rights. I mean, I can count you tens of cases of uh, beating journalists or attacking them or arresting them while reporting in protests, even though they were released, you know that journalists shouldn't be arrested while they, they report. They, it creates a chilling effect. Maybe Rama is not going so far as beating or burning um, TV station, etc. But he's trying to create the chilling effect, which is quite, it's quite, uh, I can find the word, it's, it's tough for the for the press in Albania. When they see that how easily a journalist is 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 muzzled, when they see how easily a TV station is closed, and then years later we use we we lose the arbitration award, and we, that now we have to pay a foreign businessman because we closed his media. I'm talking about the two, two, 2015 case against Becchetti, uh, the Italian uh, investor in Albania. We have to pay him right now at least 100 million euros, and it can become 300 million. In a few months, maybe we don't know. Adi Krasta worked there. He was fired from there because they, they closed the station. Adi Krasta worked at uh, Top Channel at News 24. He was fired from both those stations because he was speaking critically against the government. And now finally he has found a place we, we, where he can 
freely speak and he spoke um, with you. I mean, Rama is doing this constantly. I mean, look at how he has handled the COVID situation. I mean, I understand it's a pandemic. We have to be careful. But if you look throughout the world, nobody is doing what Rama, at least nobody in the democratic world is doing what Rama is doing in Albania. I mean, he's doing um, all these political rallies, but on the other side, people are not allowed to protest. Where's the difference? What, where's the difference between a huge crowd of political, of a political political rally than a protest in front of, in the boulevard in, in front of the prime minister's office? So I guess you get my so, point. Of, yep. Oh yes, no, I um, I do very much, and um, that's why I'm you know um, trying to bring the book up to date uh, because I want to report and document on um, on the last or well, where I left off basically. I mean, I would say you know. <laughs> What the, if I had to describe the differences, I would say um, uh, the Barisha era abuses were blue collar and the Rama era abuses are white collar, right? Um, because Barisha's behavior, and it was a different time, right? It was a different era where they were more brazen and blatant, right? You just, you know, you beat someone and it's, it's out there and you burn down a, a, a newspaper. The, the, the tactics today are much more sophisticated uh, and therefore... Um, one could argue they're more dangerous, right? Because today, yes, there, there's violence at police abuse, you know, there's police abuse. And, and I know journalists are arrested or even beaten up when they're doing their jobs, but you don't have, you know, at so much the political violence where someone's waiting outside your back door. But what they do is they buy you, right? You're bought, you're bought. Um, and it's much, you know, cleaner in the sense that it's harder to trace, um, but it has the same effect. Right. And I think if we're looking at media free freedom today, I know we have to look at the, the package um, that has been, uh, I guess, withdrawn after criticism from uh, Venice Commission and others. It, I, maybe it will come again. We don't know. But, you know, um, but if you really want to look at media freedom, I think you have to look at uh, media ownership. Right. Who is owning the main media outlets, especially the television stations? What are their interests? Who are they connected to politically and financially? Uh, and what, what, how does that affect what stories are told and what stories are not told, right? And in that sense, uh, I, would, um, I would venture to say that Albania's level of, of media freedom is disturbingly low, disturbingly low, um, especially given that we're now you know, so many years past the past the um uh you know the 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 so-called non-existing revolution and um you know that's why i think i said this to uh ari krasta and i i think it's true you know if you stop and say today is, is albania more democratic today than it was uh in 2013 i'm not sure that you can say yes you know, I mean, it's hard to measure exactly, you know, give it a give it a give it a grade, you know, but um, but with media freedom, these trends are really, really troubling. Um, and we can look at other areas today. You know, the judicial reform is it's a it's a very complex subject um, and I'm still learning, getting up to speed you know, about it. Um, there, there have been some, I think, changes that could lead to lasting, uh, have a lasting impact. But, you know. Do the courts truly function today as they should? Can you get a fair hearing if you have a dispute in Albania? Um, well, I, 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 I don't believe that on the whole you can or not enough as, as is needed for that society. You know, money will still buy you out of a serious crime, 
right? Um, and so, uh, you know, that's another area where the judicial judiciary has not achieved the independence that that um, the country needs, that the, that the people deserve, right? That the people deserve, and that any sort of uh, stable functioning society uh, must have in, in order to function. So, um, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm I'm trying to lean away from the comparisons because it was a different it was a different time. Uh, and um, but if we just look today, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you, Albi. Um, I mean, the concerns are 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 there. And by the way, you know, eight years in power is a long time, right? That's a long time. Uh, it's a chance to really accumulate power, um, and um, it, uh, uh, you know, it 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 feeds into it feeds into Albania's unfortunate political legacy of strong uh, paternalistic lead, right? Um, and which is which is where, in my view, it, it, the health of the nation would would be would benefit if we're talking about a pandemic. Um, from moving away, moving in the other direction, meaning um, uh, more pluralistic leadership. Right, going back to the way this government has bought, uh, has bought the media, I mean, you can you can see it from the fact that, for, for instance, uh, like a month ago, there were massive protests in Albania, if you heard about, like the police killed an innocent, a 26-year-old guy doing nothing at all in the street. There were these massive protests. And you can tell because none of the big medias and when i say big medias i guess you know who i'm talking about the big names of the media in albania none of them were broadcasting the protests first of all and what they were doing is that they were um they were not saying that the police that says beating the people up and everything they're just being like look how the protesters burned down the tree that the municipality put in the main square or look at how the protesters broke this uh, trash bin and so on and so forth. They were trying to portray the protesters as the ones that were on the wrong side and the police on the right side. If you know, if you understand what I want to say, like the media was trying to like support the government in that case and hide, I mean, those big medias. And with regard to the judiciary, you're saying that you're talking about the impartiality, neutrality and stuff. and. I say that we're still not there because, first of all, we don't have a judiciary right now. Sorry to say it. We don't have a high court. We finally have a constitutional court now, but still it's not full. We have only seven members. And I like to think that we will we have a constitutional court the moment we have nine members. Because again, with seven members, things can happen or things can't happen. We don't have a, a, high, a, a Supreme Court and then the Court of Appeals is dying. So there's a lot of vacuums. Um, in the judiciary um, for now. But yeah, I, I completely agree with what you said. But with regard, you said that eight years for Rama is a pretty long time in power. I like to say that Rama was not in power for only for eight years. People tend to think that it's, Rama has been here only from 2013. Let's not forget, he was the mayor of the biggest city in Albania for 11 years. He had the ties with these big businessmen and cronies long before he came to power as prime minister. That's how I like to think. Everything started when Rama became mayor. And let's not forget, he was minister from 1997 to 2000, and then he became mayor for 11 years and then prime minister. So I tend to think that Rama has been in power for at least 24 years. That's how I like um, to think it, because he built up everything based on the fact that he was a mayor. He got to know the big guys that rule um, Albania today. 
Um, but yeah, with regard to the rest, um, I, I completely, I completely uh, agree with you. But today we See, are. I, I think. Yeah. Aldi, I was just going to say, I think one other element and a very important one here is is the international community, because, you know, we know that, you know, I mean, Europe, Europe in particular, the United States and obviously uh, Turkey um, and to an extent, even, you know, countries from the Middle East and Arab states, uh, you know, they, they play a role. Right. I mean, Albania is a small country. Right. Um, and so that they play an important role. And I think there, there is something that's a little bit consistent um, if we look through this entire period. Right. Um, which is that for the most part, the, the overriding policy objective of, let's say, West, of Western democracies, um, the overriding policy has been stability, meaning that Albania should remain calm, right? It's not the only policy, you know, I mean, there's economic interests, especially for, you know, Greece and Italy, and um, there's... Um, and, and I do believe generally, you know, these countries wanted Albania's democratization as well. You know, they weren't against the democratization, you know, um, but the overriding policy was stability. It was particularly intense during the Yugoslav wars because of the fear of the conflict spreading, you know, first to Kosovo, Macedonia, which it, it did in both places anyway. But, um, you know, Albania getting involved in, in, in the larger uh, Albanian project. Um, and, um, and it continues to this day. Right. And so what I'm trying to say is, you know, what happens internally in Albania, freedom of the press, judicial reform, and the, it's it's secondary. And th that may come as a shock because I know the, the EU has invested millions and millions of euros in the judicial reform. So I don't want to suggest that it's not, you know, a high on the policy list. Um, it is. I mean, and um, uh, but. You know, the overriding factor is, do we have a leader in Albania who will pick up the phone with whom we can deal with, who, with whom we can negotiate and whom we can make sure that Albania, you know, stays, 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 stays safe, stable. Um, and unfortunately, I mean, I think that's it. That's a it's a short sighted approach. Like, I, you know, listen, I'm a human rights realist. I really am. I am not an absolute absolutist. I'm very realistic. And I appreciate that the stability is, is important. It's a worthwhile goal. I understand why Washington and Brussels and Berlin pursue it. I just think they could have done more and they still today could do more to have both, right? Because the leverage, the leverage of the West is very, very strong. It's very strong. And they could encourage the stability and push Albania to be more democratic uh, to respect separation of powers, to be more, um, you know, pushing the government, whoever is in power, to respect its international uh, obligations. And they have not always been willing to step up and, and take that stance. Um, and I think we, you know, I mean, today is a little, there, there are voices, of course, there are, you know, there are critical voices, but I think it could be, it could be stronger. Um, it, it could be stronger. And then I just want to, I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, just bear with me for a second. There was an, another interesting angle here that's worth um, thinking about, which is, in fact, um, uh, Eddie Rama now is trying to play outside his borders. He is trying to play. Um, you know, he's been very uh, engaged um, you know, not just in relations with with uh, Vucic in Serbia, which, of course, is a good thing, having him come to Tirana, going to Belgrade. I mean, I can't critique that on the contrary, you know, but 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 getting involved in Kosovo, um, trying to push deals, 
uh, around Kosovo, trying to push controversial deals uh, around Kosovo. Um, and, um, you know, uh, and also, you know, really, I would say, playing, uh, waving a nationalist flag. Now, I think a, a lot of this is electioneering, right? The elections are coming in June, and the, a lot of those positions um, th that he's taken, including his, his um, really knee-jerk uh, and over-the-top uh, critique of the special, Kosovo Special Court, you know, th that's about elections, a, a lot of it. Um, but it's also quite surprising because it's the area where the West is most concerned. Like, that's the red line. That's the line in the sand, right? And, you know, in Barisha's years, when he started to meddle too much outside of his borders, Macedonia or Kosovo, that's when Western governments came and really wagged their finger. And um, it's interesting to me that so far, maybe they're doing it behind the scenes, or maybe they just realize this is just elections, it's not serious. Um, but he hasn't, hasn't had a real strong pushback from that, you know, although it's clearly across the line that Western governments have always drawn with regard to their, their, their approach and policy to their Albanian politics. Yeah, I don't know if you heard recently, but a few days ago, Rama started to blame um, specific countries in the EU for not helping um, Albania with the COVID vaccines. I don't know if you heard about that. He was rambling on these EU countries that we were left on the side, like the EU owed us the vaccines. And there was there was there were a lot of responses from uh, EU embassies, EU embassy countries um, in Albania, and Rama still still kept pushing. He received a, a letter from the French embassy saying that France and the EU, EU have always been um, friends of Albania. They are the main investor and everything. And Rama still went on like trying to blame um, the EU. I don't know if he's doing this for elect for just the elections or he's gone mad. I don't know. He's he's going full autocrat or I don't know how to explain this. Like, I don't know how you see it because I mean, mendling, mendling with Erdogan, like uh, crossing Europe many times now with, for a lot of things. Do you think he's becoming the true autocrat now? I mean, look, first of all, I, I don't know why he why he um, you know criticized the EU for the vaccine, but I will say there are reasons to criticize the EU. Right. I mean, the EU's approach to um, to the accession process and its, its handling of Albania has been, you know, has has many points where where it can be legitimately criticized. And I can understand and appreciate the frustration that Albanians, you know, if it's him, the government or others have with this with this process. And let's not forget, by the way, you know, like has Albania met all of the conditions to like join tomorrow? Uh, no, it hasn't. But, you know, a lot of the slow process has nothing to do with Albania. Right. Like right now. The next step in the process, as I understand, is the intergovernmental conference, the first one. But Albania is linked to um, linked to Macedonia, northern Macedonia, and there's a dispute with Bulgaria. So, you know, it, it, it's out of Albania's hands. Right. Um, and, and of course, the EU is deeply divided. So the process has stalled many, many times, not because of anything to do with Albania itself, its reform or lack of reform. So, I mean, I can understand the appreciation. And I actually think I can I can also understand then why Rama in particular has turned to Turkey, um, because, you know, if, if the EU is not going to move quickly, he can look uh, look in the other direction. The criticism is why he has to embrace Erdogan in such a, you know, in such an extreme way, um, you know, and, and, and which is shameful um, because you can still approach the country and keep your dignity. 
um, but um, but uh, you know, so he's gone too far. But I can I can understand you know why he would why he would do that. And then in, in this case, it probably is electioneering. I would imagine, right? I mean, everything we're going to see over the next four months, we should view through the prism of the elections. If it's building a hospital in fear, or uh, or criticizing um, criticizing the EU for the vaccine. I would imagine, you know, that's what it's about. I'm not justifying it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just explaining it, or, you know, trying to explain it. Speaking about elections, um, Albanians are in front of all Albanians right now. It's it's a really tough choice. Do we continue with the status quo? Do we keep Rama, which I think we shouldn't. That's my opinion. Or should we? Should we? Make a rotation, like we need to change the government or not. And Rama has been inciting this idea that um, if the opposition comes to power, that's the end of Albania. It's pretty much what, what Trump was trying to say here, here in the United States. Like if the Democrats come to power, socialism will come to America, blah, blah, blah. That's what Rama is trying to say, that if the Democrats came, he's like, they had the chance, they destroyed Albania, they, bur they burned Albania. If they come again, they will do the same. So that's that's um, his language. And if he wins, if he wins, he would be the first prime minister to hold power for three mandates. If he does hold a third uh, mandate, and if he wins it, to hold power for so so long after the fall of communism, no one ever did it before. Uh, Berisha was in power, but we never he never was more than two mandates. For example, do you think this this will damage? The Albanian democracy, if we have a democracy, I don't think we have a democracy. We are an illiberal democracy. Uh, I think, uh, so should, should first of all, will Albanian democracy be diminished more? And, or do you think, should we choose a lesser evil in which, in this case, which is the opposition, which many think it's the old democratic party, I tend to think a little different because many of the old figures in the Democratic Party are not there anymore. If they are behind the scenes, I can't tell. Maybe they are, maybe they are not. But how, how do you see this? So, um, I mean, I would never tell uh, anyone how to vote, uh, you know, anywhere. Yeah, yeah um, sure. That's a, a personal choice. I mean, I, I would say, you know, just coming, um, uh, I'll come at it this way, if you'll allow me, which is, um, the, uh, jumping off from the Western, you know, the, we the Western policy towards Albania, uh, I think, you know, Eddie Rama had immense support. He had a very deep and wide reservoir of support in 2013 because uh, of um, distrust and dislike for the opposition, right? So, you know, um, the U.S. government and European governments, they were really tired with um, the previous government they felt um, that Eddie Rama offered an, a new hope and a new direction. Um, and so they were willing to tolerate a lot. And I think uh, that maybe that helps to explain why their critiques and their criticisms have been tempered uh, over the past you know, eight years um, because there is a, um, a generally low, low level of trust uh, for, for uh, those oppositions. That may be changing. And as you say, that maybe the... Um, you know, the, the character of the opposition is, is, is changing. Um, that being said, you know, that being said, um, I, uh, I am worried about the accumulation of power in Albania. I am. 
Um, I think, uh, you know, that is the, the political legacy of the country. It's the tradition is to have um, strong leaders uh, on horses, uh, and it's hard to get them off the horse. And um, that's not healthy. You know, it's not healthy. No one person has all the answers. No one person can paint the town. No one person can uh, decide what's right and what's wrong for a nation. Um, and so opening the door and allowing uh, the, the, the plurality of voices is healthy. Not all of those voices will be beautiful, that not everyone sings well, um, but, uh, but they, you know, they must be, uh, be allowed to, to, to sing. And, um, and the concentration holding the microphone uh, for a very long time um, can lead to the dominance of, of one voice. Now, I do think ultimately, though, ultimately, the deeper issue is, um, is what others have called the oligarchs, right? Because, and the, the deep uh, reach of powerful financial interests, because Eddie Rama could leave office, right? But the system um, and, and the, those, that deep connection of powerful uh, uh, business uh, interests that dominate the social good, that influence policy, that affect how people get their health care and their infrastructure and their education, because decisions are made based on the interests of, of a powerful few. Um, that, that can remain, you know, that can remain. And in fact, the, the next, the people who come to power after Rama, if, it, if that happens, they'll inherit that system and they will probably use it, right? Um, so uh, for me in the, in the long term, you know, that's the structural change that, that's, that's more important. Um, getting past individuals, right? This shouldn't be about individuals. This should be about systems uh, and finding ways that people serve for the public interest. Um, you know, we've always said, I'll be, this is, goes back to, uh, repeated it too many times, but it's a good line is that, you know, we want leaders who um, see their positions as a responsibility instead of an opportunity, right? People who will rule, and, uh, who, will, who will govern instead of rule, right? And who will um, allow for, uh, you know, policy debates and decisions that are, that are in the public interest instead of the personal pocket. And uh, that's the challenge that's, that's deeper, that goes beyond, you know, any of the individuals today um, and is the, you know, would be the maybe the uh, the real revolution. I completely agree with with all your points, um, Fred. Um, and to close this podcast, um, you're going to come up with a second part of modern Albania, which I like. I like to call it personally, as I'm going to also call this podcast post modern Albania, like let's say post 2013 um, Albania. Uh, what will you do different um, in the process of making this second part of the book, let's say, or, or this group of papers of if all these articles that will comprise the second the second part of the book? What will you do differently well, from still, the first one? I'm still trying to figure it out, uh, honestly. So I, I don't have a set answer for you. I mean, one thing that's difficult is obviously I'm not in Albania, right? So you know, uh, you know, the chance to sit down and have coffee with people is is just so essential and doing it over 
the phone is is you know is, is terrible right or it, it's just you you lose the human so that's one thing you know that's one thing um i mean the other is you know i um i mean this is probably boring so I, you know i'll just make it short but uh, is that is the format you know that's what i was telling you about writing a book is you have to think about the format it's not just the information right you know and so um if it's going to be an article well i can't assume that people will have read the book Right. And so I have to tell a story that will stand on its own. Its own yeah. Right. Where if right. And if I were if I were just adding a chapter to the book and I knew you would be reading it one through ten, well, then I could build on, you know, build on the characters. I don't have to reintroduce who are these people. Right. So, I mean, this is just a, you know, whatever, a, 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 a literary technicality, but it, it's relevant. So, um, yeah, so I'm thinking about that. But right now I'm, I'm just trying to get back up to speed. Um, get a feel for it, get a flavor for it. And I guess, you know, honestly, I don't think I'm going to go into great details because it's, it's maybe a few cases that are descriptive to make a, to give an example. Um, but I'm more interested in the trends. Uh, you know, what we talked about, um, how do you really democratize? Um, uh, what is the interplay with nationalism and, and, and that democratization? Um, how does Albania look at its past? I'm very, I may use that as a window, very, very fascinated uh, at how Albania has come to terms with the atrocities of the communist era um, and what that says about the society today, right? Um, so those are some of the themes, I guess, maybe I, I may um, uh, use that as a, as a way to tell the story, but still, still playing with it. Well, me personally, I can't wait. I can't wait for you to publish, um, let's say, this book that will stand alone. But still, it will, I think it will be connected to the first book, uh, of course. Uh, Fred, thank you so much for being uh, on Rule of Law Albania with me today. Albi, it's a pleasure and congratulations on the podcast. Thank Please you. keep it up. And to all, to everyone that will listen to us, um, I will include in the description of this podcast, both on Spotify and other platforms, also YouTube, the website link of modern albania uh, you can find many interesting things there i urge you to read the first book uh, so that you are ready for the second part when it comes up fred not in the